Welcome to Tackless Radio. Don't hurt a Miss Tina. No. Welcome back, y'all, to another episode of Tackless Radio. And it is I, Be Bad. And baby, I stumbled upon that gem earlier this week while I was just binging the Pose playlist on Spotify, Pose on FX amazing show shout out to Ryan Murphy shout out to Janet Mock that show had three seasons it's now concluded it's ended but it was such a fucking fantastic show and the the costumes the monologues the 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 casting the outfits and baby that music because the show is set in the late 80s early 90s in New York during the height and basically the beginning and the height of the AIDS epidemic and it shows the experiences of black and brown individuals through the ballroom culture in New York during the 80s and the 90s and the music baby the fashions now I'm a late 80 early 90 baby myself so a lot of it I do remember I wasn't there for all of it but I fairly do remember a lot of it and the music and the artistry and the singing back then was just phenomenal and so I wanted to listen to the pose playlist because the music selection on that show was fantastic and stumbled upon (laughs) Miss Tinta Tarnta and private dancer and I am so happy that I found it baby like the old hoe in me comes out (laughs) 
<laughs> like I'm pretty sure, pretty, pretty sure that's what your mama was dancing to when she was seducing your daddy back in the day. But that song is like so sad, but it's so sexy, but it's the original city girl song. Like before it was the ladies of today. That was the original fuck these niggas get this bag. Like Miss Tina was way ahead of her time. <laughs> so Miss Tita Turnta, private dancer is the song of the week. <sighs> You know, so I'm done going down memory lane. I'm done dating myself. So we're just going to go ahead and get into shit I saw. This shit I saw, I actually want to talk about some shit I saw 20 years ago. This year marks the 20 year anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And one of the things that I'm really fascinated about is how we share stories. I'm always so interested in storytelling, how we share stories, how people emote feelings through story, how we exchange knowledge through stories, how we learn through stories. And stories are so important because that's how you keep culture, values, languages alive through generations. And I always fascinated when I hear my older aunties and my grandmothers and great grandmothers and grandfathers share stories about their time. Because then when my niece gets older with my cousins, my younger cousins, we share those stories. And then that's kind of how big mama lives on. That's how my great grandfather gets to live on. That's how my mom and dad will live on when I share stories about our family trips and about our spankings and about when someone did this during the summertime picnic, like all of those things you share. And that's how you keep those people and their memories alive. But then we also share stories about where we were when we all have a similar story to share. For instance, I always remembered my grandmother sharing with me what she was doing and exactly what was going on when Pearl Harbor was bombed. Fascinating enough, my grandmother was in seventh grade when Pearl Harbor was bombed and I was in seventh grade during the 9-11 attacks. And it's always so cool to have parallels like that, but you can't find parallels like that unless you share stories. And it's always interesting hearing people share stories about an experience that we've all shared. Because for instance, we all know exactly what we were doing and where we were when we found out that America was under attack. So I want to share with you all just quickly, not going to really... <laughs> take too much time on it because I'm not as patriotic as y'all would y'all know I'm not patriotic we're not even gonna fucking sit here and think like oh Britney loves America America get your shit together first of all if you ask me America did it to himself that's for like let's let's just start this conversation off the right way in my opinion America was in on it that's first off but the story I want to share is where I was and my surroundings and my experience about 9-11, which was literally some shit I saw. So September 11th, 2001, I'm in seventh grade. I am 11. <laughs> and I, on my way to school, so 
for my elementary school, the doors opened at like 730 and the classes started at eight. So I remember getting to school like early, you know, father had to go to work. (laughs) Mother was a teacher, so she had to also be there early too. not say my mom worked in the same school as me, but teachers are up early. My dad had to get us to school early. And I remember about like 745 heading to my classroom. My classroom teacher was Miss Wilson. And Miss Wilson always did these morning activities for like the kids that got to class a little early. And it was always an analogy uh, sentence. So she would put an analogy on the board and you had to kind of describe what the sentence was trying to relay. And I remember sitting at my desk, looking at the morning activity, you know, pulling out my spiral, my notebooks, open it up, getting to work. You know, I was a nerd like that. And I remember the next door teacher running in to Ms. Wilson's classroom and then they both run back out. And she's in the hallway for maybe about five minutes. So at this point, it's about like 7.50. And what I did not know at this time was that the World Trade Center on the North Tower was hit at 8.46 a.m., which was 7.46 a.m. Chicago time. You know, so apparently we were under attack, but the kids didn't know. But buzz started to happen in the hallways amongst the teachers and adults. But you really don't notice anything. You're a kid. You chilling. You just looking for your friends. You trying to see like who got snacks. You're not really paying attention to to nothing. So now the bell rings. It's eight o'clock. And Miss Wilson is rolling in a TV. You know. For my generation, y'all know. It's the TV on the little roll tray that you plug in (laughs) when you have like movie day or if your teacher really don't want to work a T, she put a little movie on and when that roll in, oh, you knew you was about to have a time of your life. So I was like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. We getting a movie early in the morning. What? We not doing no work? Oh my God, what the TV doing in here? Really? Excited for absolutely no fucking reason, girl. Because I'm sitting here thinking like, damn, we only get to see the TV on Fridays. And that's only for the motherfuckers who did all of their work for the week. Why is the TV in here so early? But I wasn't complaining, you know? She turns the TV on and immediately it goes to the news. And you can see the North Tower on fire. I was like, New York? I immediately started thinking about my cousins who lived in Brooklyn. And I'm just like, why are we watching the news? Why is that building on fire? And then I'm reading like what's going on. And they're saying that a plane hit the North Tower in New York. And I'm like, the hell is going on? It just was weird. I was still trying to process like why we were watching the news, why that building was on fire, reading everything. And then... At 8.03 Central Time, my class witnessed the South Tower getting hit. And I was like, oh, what does this all mean? 
And my teacher gassed and we were like, okay, so she gassed. So should we be upset? Should we (laughs) be um, concerned? And I just felt like, okay, today's one of the, today's just going to be one of those days we're not going to do work. Mind you, it's September 11th. School started about four days ago. I really don't, I'm like, I know the kids in my class because the way that my school is set up, you kind of stay with the same kids as you move through the grades because it was a one through eight. So we knew each other for a very long time. So I didn't feel weird, even though it was the, you know, I didn't feel weird, even though it was fairly early in the school year, but I definitely thought to myself like, okay, today feels different. Today's going to be a different kind of day. It doesn't look like we're going to be doing much of work, but I just did not understand the magnitude of what I just saw. And I really did not understand what was going to come after that moment. So at this point, We're just watching the TV in silence. Just, you know, Miss Wilson at this point is just telling us to pull out our homework and check over and look over. She's just kind of basically giving us busy work, but the TV's on. And we're just watching the headlines. We're just listening to the newscasters. Every channel is basically on the same thing about the two World Trade Centers basically having planes being ran into them. And then you see coverage about what's happening in D.C. Then you start to see coverage about what happened in Pennsylvania. And now you're starting to have a sense of fear. And you really don't know what you're scared of, but it, but you, you feel it. You're kind of like, is this real? Am I witnessing what's happening? But you're definitely looking to the elders in the room to say, okay, should I be mimicking the emotions that they're having? Because... At 11, I'm I'm still not very aware of what's going on. But what I do know is that whatever's happening, it's not good. So we're just watching the TV. It's showing coverage of what's happening in Washington, Pennsylvania, New York, kind of switching through. They're just kind of telling people about the fire response and how firefighters are heading to the scene to try and put the fires out and how they're trying to work on evacuating people in the building, even telling us coverage about how all damage isn't on these floors. So they're evacuating certain floors, but one building is being fully evacuated. The other one is like only certain floors. They're like getting very specific because then it, 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 it's kind of like growing And you can feel it that people want to say terrorist attack as they're trying to figure out what the next um, language is going to be. And then I remember looking at the screen and the towers just collapsing. And I was like, okay, now I think I have a completely different type of concern that I can just have for my have within myself I'm not looking to elders to be like should I be fearful is this concerning are we scared I was legitimately white I legitimately was like what is happening right now in our country because now it it felt different it felt different you can hear the panic in the reporter's voice and you could just hear the panic of everyone who was in the immediate area doing coverage And it was so scary to see, life-changing to witness in real time. 
because there's so many people that I talk to, then they're like, oh, I wasn't even born. And I was like, wow, <laughs> you wouldn't, wasn't even born. Like, it's interesting because there are a nice amount of people considering there's an entire generation under millennials who learned about 9-11 in textbooks. And I witnessed it in real time. And that is a crazy thing to, to, to sit with. But that's just how life experiences happen. So I saw the towers collapse and it was just like in the same wave, children just started getting called to the front desk because their parents were coming to pick them up to take them home. And uh, downtown was then evacuated. Everybody in the Sears Tower was evacuated because at the time people just weren't sure of what were considered the motives behind the people who were doing what they were doing were they attacking prominent federal buildings just prominent buildings in general they were like we don't know what is going on but everyone get your ass in the house and I thought to myself like okay sooner or later my mom is going to pick me up sooner or later my dad is going to pick me up But no, baby, me and my siblings spent the entire day at school while everybody else was getting picked up to go home, rightfully so. And of course, it didn't dawn on me at the time, I'm 11, that like my parents are considered first responders when shit goes down. So my dad immediately is on high alert in the city doing what he needs to do. And my mom is a teacher. So she is also like, I have a classroom that I'm responsible for if there's any place that I know that you're going to be safe it's going to be inside of a schoolhouse so I knew you were safe and I had to make sure that my classroom was safe because everybody's freaking out right now but I remember after the towers collapsed and things at that point got really real there weren't many children still in the school because they so many people were going home but they then had us in the library and then in the auditorium because they just wanted us to be in the central most part of the building just in case something worse happened. So I remember being in the auditorium and they were still, and we were still watching the news. We were still trying to figure out what was going on. They were still having kids being called down to the office and going home. And that was pretty much the entire school day before I ended up getting out, getting on the school bus, going home and meeting my grandparents there because my mom was working late for sure and my dad was definitely already out and about. Went to the basement, turned the TV on and kept watching it, kept watching all the news coverage. I think I at first was like, I want to watch something else. I've been watching the news all day. I believe I asked my grandma, like, are our cousins in New York okay? She says she spoke to them. They're fine. So I think everything that my 11-year-old self was concerned about at the time, my my concerns were addressed. So I felt better overall. So I was like, okay, I want to watch something else. Because at 11, it still didn't really hit me, like, what any of any of that meant. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for a Disney Channel. I'm looking for Nickelodeon. And those are reruns of like some child show. And I was like, this is not what they normally be playing when I get home from school. But then I think once 
I was trying to turn to find Disney Channel. I was going through the channels to go to like Nickelodeon, but I was going through all the other channels and I saw that every other channel was covering this particular situation. And then that's when it kind of clicked to me that like, this is really, really big. Because I think in the past that there's like a really bad storm or like a snowstorm or like a really bad crime you see like just the news channels covering it. Like I would see something, if something really big happened, you would see it on like one or three, one to three channels, like the big news channels. But when I was flipping through these channels to find Disney, to find Nickelodeon, it was on sports, like it was on channels that sports would normally be on. It was on channels that, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and like Saved by the Bell would be on. It was on MTV. It was on BET. It was on every channel where news normally doesn't even happen. And I was like, oh, this must be way more serious than what I can even wrap my mind around. And went to school the next day and we kind of just sat in our first homeroom class and kind of recapped the day before and you know, at that point, we saw a lot of people talk about memorials and kids talking about sharing that their family members in New York were doing okay, or just sharing like their family members in Pennsylvania and DC were fine. And it was a Wednesday, the 9-11 attacks happened on a Tuesday. And by Wednesday, midday, at least for my class, my school, my city, at least my state, there was still a lot of news coverage, but we were back to business. (laughs) And I think as the months went on, because it was, of course, tragic what happened. And as more numbers came out, more data came out, more stories came out, you then could really understand the magnitude of what happened on that day. And really then understood that we as a country would never forget. And I definitely have not forgotten. I I remember exactly where I was and who was around me and what was in front of me and how they collapsed and everything um, on that day. I will also say, though, that one of the things that came to my mind that day was the thought that as I watched the World Trade Center collapse, I thought about how eerily similar that looked to the video that my dad brought home a couple years ago of when they demolished the Robert Taylor projects because the elementary school that I went to at the time was across the street from the Robert Taylor projects. So it was concerning, of course, in the city of like how they were going to demo this, clean it up and all the businesses around. But I remember When I was out of school for a summer, they demolished it so that they could take those months where at least the kids (laughs) weren't around demo work and get it done. And I remember my dad bringing home a video of them demolishing it because they used dynamite. Like they pretty much just like straight down, use dynamite to get rid of all of these projects because in their mind, they're like, that's the easiest way to get rid of such a Chicago sore. (laughs) So... As I'm watching the World Trade Center's collapse, I'm thinking to myself, like, that also looks like how the Robert Taylor projects came down. And they used dynamite and explosives for that to happen. And mind you, that was a thought that I had at 11. 
I am now 31 and we all know the truth. So that is your week's shit I saw. Hey, and now it is time for a random reality. And I just wanted to share some really good news that I recently found out about Be Good, B-E-A Good, which is a charity that Beyonce, of course, has put together and a little bit of the cool stuff that they got going on. So my sisters are alum of University of Arkansas in Pine Bluff. And recently, Be Good and the Sean Carter Foundation, along with Tiffany and company have put together the About Love Scholarship, has put together $2 million in scholarship funding for students in the arts and creative fields at historically black colleges and universities. So they are awarding five colleges, $2 million in scholarships that are going to go towards students that are going to be in art and creative fields, which is so dope and those five schools are lincoln university in pennsylvania Norfolk state university in virginia bennett college in north carolina central state in ohio and uapb in arkansas so i thought that was so cool because i know my sisters are like oh my god look we're getting a little shine we're doing a little something something but it's awesome because a lot of times HBCUs just do not receive the funding or have a lot of financial opportunities for students that want to go to their schools. I know that my sisters definitely hustled their asses off to be able to pay for school. So it's nice to know that there's opportunities for those who want to go to college, want to get into a creative field, want to study the arts. Go ahead and check out Be Good. They have an Instagram and a website. I am receiving this information from UAPBs on Instagram. So if you go to UAPB or any of the five schools that are going to be receiving the scholarship, definitely check it out. Apply. Get yourself some money because student loan debt, girl, that is not what the fuck you want. That is not what the fuck you need. It is not cute. So help somebody help you find some money out there girl try to leave college with as little as possible take it from an old head (laughs) so I just want to share that really cool news because I thought it was so awesome to kind of see of course Beyonce doing some amazing stuff but for HBCUs to get some highlight that one particular HBCU being UAPB because I am a like a baby golden lion because half my family went to UAPB so I just want to share a little bit of the good news as we start getting back into school as the school year starts for so many of our students just wanted to share some amazing news and that is your week's random reality Hey Tackies, welcome back. And it is now time for your tackless topic of the week. And I just wanted to tell you all some things that I've been thinking about in terms of forgiveness. And I've been thinking, I really feel one of the things missing in our community, the black community, 
is forgiveness. So there is this comedian by the name of Ryan Davis that I follow on Facebook. And he recently posted a video on Friday. You all should go watch it. And the title of it is Kevin Samuels Part 1. So, of course, I'm like, what is he talking about? I watched the video. It's pretty great. I damn near agree with everything that he said. But I'm not going to talk about Kevin Samuels and what Ryan Davis said about Kevin Samuels. What I want to talk about is more so forgiveness and accountability. Because Ryan made a lot of great points about just the particular type of fan base Kevin Samuels has and not necessarily that Kevin himself agrees with what people who follow him say. And I was looking through the comments and of course a lot of other people are agreeing with the discussion and the dialogue and some things that are being said. And a lot of the women in the comments were talking about how they have started to have conversations with their girlfriends about accountability. And one woman in particular even said that when she is having conversations with her girlfriends about accountability, it just looks so different than how you check your girlfriend, than how men check their homeboy. And I thought to myself, like, I wonder if that's why we across the table don't think that we hold our own gender in particular accountable because how we check each other, it looks different because men will just fight to check each other and just be like, that's, that's the end of it. If me and my girl scrap, like Cardi B said, we got beef forever. Like, I feel differently about fighting my girlfriend. Like, if we have to go to blows, bitch, I guess we just done. (laughs) But when it comes to checking your girlfriend, what do we do? You call each other up. You take your girl to dinner. You take your girl to get some drinks. You pull her to the side. Y'all have a sleepover. You have a heart to heart. There's a lot of emotions, a lot of protection, a lot of covering to a certain extent when you really want to check your home girl. We, we, to a certain extent, we come at, we come at it at an angle of love so that you can be open and be soft and be vulnerable. Um, and for instance, just to give men who are listening an example of what it looks like when a girl is checking her girlfriend, you will take your girl out to get a couple of drinks and be like, now, bitch, you know, I love you. But your man is not good for you. You've not checked in with your family. You've not been checking in with your girlfriends. You've been late to work. What's going on? You borrowing money from us. You ain't never been asking us for money. You always got your shit together. What's going on? Sis, he's using you. And I'm coming to you because I love you. And you a boss bitch. You're a queen. You deserve better. You don't need him. You can do better. I'm here if you need me. I will help you pack your shit. You can sleep on my couch. What do you need, girl? That's really to a certain extent how you check your girlfriend. I mean, and then there's different variations of it, yes. (laughs) Where you be like, girl, you drink too much and you need to get your shit together. 
And we can, and that's definitely how we will check each other, but we're not going to do that publicly. (laughs) First off, you know, not everybody not going to be in our business. And if we have that conversation, we will not repeat it to the out, to the outer world because we had to check each other very harshly because maybe that was not our first time telling our girlfriend something about herself and we tired of repeating ourselves. So now we got to say a little bit harshly, but for the most part, we come at it from an angle of love men at least from what I've seen. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But men will just be like, motherfucker, that's stupid as fuck. Drop her ass. She cheating. You being a simp. Get your shit together. Da, 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 da. And, that's, and that's it. And that's done. And they be like, yeah, you right. You right. I'm tripping. And then they move the fuck on. So I really do feel that when it comes to taking accountability and checking each other across the table in terms of gender, we're just doing it so wrong. Because when we do it to each other, that's where we're comfortable. And when we have to do it across the table, it's completely different. I think that's kind of where we're at with it. Because so many times with the Kevin Samuels fan base, a lot of those men say that women don't hold themselves accountable for their own demise, misery, downfall, whatever the fuck it may be, you know? But what I want to let men know is that if there's a woman out there that has three kids with three different men, she knows exactly that she has three kids with three different men. And she is very aware of her situation. And I'm going to also say she too wishes that she did things differently from time to time. Unless you are Erica Badu, (laughs) unless you are, unless you are Erica Badu, I think a lot of women in those type of I think a lot of women in those situations would say that they maybe should have made a different decision or a decision that they made was not a good decision and they have to hold themselves accountable and now they are and now they are a single mother with three children and they hold themselves accountable by showing up for those children and that shit is difficult. I don't think it's a lot of women out there who say to themselves like, oh, I still deserve a perfect life, even though you did some bullshit, unless you grew up in a privileged lifestyle, unless you grew up very privileged, knowing that people around you could correct your wrongs. But a lot of women, we've had a lot of life (laughs) to live at a very young age because society has expected for us to. So within our circles, within our, you know, side conversations, you know, when the matriarchs meet in the kitchen, there are a lot of conversations that happen where we are checking each other. There are a lot of times that women are holding themselves accountable. There's a lot of conversations happening, you know, to the side in love of girl. I don't know why I got pregnant by the nigga. That was the stupidest thing. I never should have did that. And now I understand that I'm going to have to live 18 years with having to struggle and I wish I made a better decision. But why does that then mean that that woman doesn't deserve for her next relationship to not be from, from somebody who's fruitful and here and and, and get this, that woman is not expecting that quote unquote high value man. That woman just wants that man to be better than the experience she just had. And that could be a construction worker. (laughs) That could be a truck driver. You all are really putting a lot of words in our mouths, despite the fact that y'all never really had a conversation with us about these things. 
because I will be the first to tell you that we check each other. And there's a lot of women that say, damn, I made a fucked up decision. I guess I got to live with these choices. And we understand that all choices have consequences. (laughs) We are not delusional, especially if you a black woman, you've never had an opportunity to be, to be delusional. You've always had to understand reality, yours and everybody else's. So I think it's so interesting how Kevin Samuel's fan base thinks that women don't take them. Women don't hold themselves accountable. And it's always no sis, you right. Fuck these niggas. These niggas is wrong. And that's you all are really putting words in our mouths. Cause what we're saying is yes, a lot of these niggas ain't shit, but what you all don't realize is that a lot of the statistics would point to that. And you all don't want to hold yourselves accountable first. We all got to hold ourselves accountable. And the and to Ryan Davis's point, he said the biggest threat to women is men, statistically. So I want everybody to just be like, okay, let's back up. We all have to hold ourselves accountable about some stuff, you know? <laughs> you, we're all not coming from a place of privilege, so we all have had to work. Black women have been working just as long as black men have been working in this country. It was white women that were like, no, we gonna, we gotta gotta work. Bitch, everybody else been going to work. Everybody else in this bitch clocked in to a job. It was white women that were like, it's not fair that we're not working. So we want to go to work too. Like, please (laughs) do not put that feminist bullshit onto black women. Okay. It is different for us. Boo boo. We understand that. (laughs) The word of today is intersectionality. Reading Rainbow. So I want us to first understand that we are now in a space that we want to have conversations about holding each other accountable about some of the decisions that we have made, about how black women have hurt black men, about how black men have hurt black women. But we got to come at it from an angle of love. And that's not what I think we're doing. Because we have to be able to forgive each other for what we have done to one another. And that's going to require a lot of healing. And I don't, and, and that's the thing about our community. We're so against therapy. We're so against healing, but we got the most trauma. how that work? So I just think we have to come at it from multiple angles. You know, men, women hold each other accountable differently than how you all hold each other accountable. So even if we see something online that is like stupid, we're going to hit Shorty up in her DMs. We not gonna do all the rah-rah publicly because just that's just how we do it in our community. That's just how we do it amongst ourselves. But then women, we have to understand that men are not going to walk us through a field of daisies all the time when it comes to us getting our shit together. And sometimes they're a little bit more solution oriented in how they're operating. So they're thinking, okay, she's supposed to be like, yep, I was wrong. I fucked up. Now here's the change. And for us, we don't move as quickly when it comes to our change. We need someone to come at it with love. That takes time, you know, that takes thinking about the other person. How would they react? Should I say this? Should I not say that? 
it takes work sometimes when it, when we want to like come to our girlfriend because we want people to come at it with love because that is a that is a very positive way like if if you really want someone to change if you really want someone to understand how their actions hurt you you want to come at it at an angle where you can allow open communication and when you come at it with hostility when you come at it with this 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 it shuts people down to get defensive so there is a skill <laughs> communication major here there is a skill to doing this so that people across the table can have open communication feel protected not get defensive and then thus have a productive conversation where we both can work towards a solution but that requires a lot of healing (laughs) that requires a lot of breaking generational curses that requires a lot of apologies and our community right now not just the millennials and not just gen z gen x boomers our community just all over the place in terms of just across not even across the table in terms of like gender just across the table in terms of like age and in terms of like mother father dynamics sibling dynamics there's a lot of hurt in our community and we have to get to a space where we have to say I'm sorry I I apologize for my role and what I've done to cause you pain and I hope that you get healing as soon as possible for instance there are a decent amount of single black mothers who did the best that they could, but probably made a lot of mistakes in terms of how they could have raised their black son better. Whether it was over nurturing and being overprotective or very interesting intersexual personal relations that mothers have with their sons. Like that's my king, that's my man. Now there's a man of that. that. Please get therapy about that, that is. Not right. I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of black men that would say that their mom did the best that she could, but there were some things down the road that she did that traumatized him or hurt him or just did not set him up for success when he became a man or an adult. And instead of them having that conversation or that mother being able to hold herself accountable and take accountability for what she did and apologize to her son they have this hate and this trauma that is unaddressed. So he just takes it out on every other woman he dates for the rest of his fucking life. And that's not fair. So I agree that there's a lot of women out here who are willing to have the conversation and we are willing to say, I am sorry, I fucked up. I need to do better. We are getting there. I am hoping, praying (laughs) that this podcast can be a catalyst for that, for those conversations because That's a part of us getting to a space where we can heal as a community. We got to be able to say, I'm sorry. Women and men, old and young, across the table. We got to be able to say, I'm sorry. I fucked up. Now that I know better, I want to be able to do better. And then we also have to hold each other accountable. If you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know that despite (laughs) the fact that I am very quick to tell men black or white how they are fucking up because y'all have had the reins longer so you all have had more opportunities to fuck up but I too hold women accountable I definitely do there are areas of opportunity 
on all sides. And I want to continue for us to have those conversations, but we got to have those conversations in love. We have to have those conversations with working towards a solution. So ladies, (laughs) we can't just be like, yes, girl, thank you so much for telling me how I'm wrong. Okay, bitch, now we need you to act. Are you dropping him or not? Are you moving out or not? Are you getting your self-esteem back or not? (laughs) Okay. We can't just keep telling you, girl, how you wrong. You now, We've had the conversation about how you wrong, about how he ain't shit. Okay, so what's the next move, girl? What we doing? Because men are solution-oriented. If we're going to talk about it, we got to be about it. Got to hold each other accountable. But men, you have to come at us from an angle of love, from an angle of concern, so that we can have a open dialogue about how we can be better. We are not going to fight you just to say that we are sorry. We are not accustomed to doing it in that way. So I feel like if we can get to that space, we'll be better for it. Overall, as a community, I might have cracked the code. (laughs) I might have cracked the code. I don't know. But I really hope that if we can just learn to get there, oh my God, we can have so many amazing conversations we can heal an entire generation how would that look to have a entire black generation where they don't have to deal with so much lineage of trauma that all of our ancestors have had in this country since the beginning of time Imagine breaking a generational curse and actually seeing that generation thrive. I am so excited to see my niece grow up because she's going to have so many opportunities that my sisters and my brother and I didn't have the way that me and my siblings had more opportunities that my mom and dad didn't have. And my mom and dad had more opportunities than their mom and dad had. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. But now we're in a space where we're not just doing that from the angle of generational wealth and just making sure that we set each other up right in terms of acquiring assets and funds and building wealth. Now we got to break those psychological chains. Now we have to get mentally wealthy, emotionally wealthy. We got to start breaking those generational curses too. Because white people, they, it wasn't just bondage physically. They also had our minds and our emotions and chains. There's a couple things here we got to break, okay? Older black people, you can't just set your kids up financially. You also got to help them break and set themselves up emotionally and mentally as well for the next generation. There's a lot of stuff, as I am helping myself mentally grow, emotionally grow, physically grow, as I am really trying to get my life together, sit down and really have some deep conversations with myself. I'm realizing it's not just setting myself up for my future and my parents setting us up for our future and, and, you know, top down financially. We also got to do that mentally and emotionally as well. And I think if we can get to a space where we understand how to come at each other with love, understanding, dropping the defensiveness, working towards a solution, 
and actually holding each other accountable on the actions towards gearing up that solution so that we can actually cross the finish line and see growth. Baby, I think we could get to a space by 2050 where we will see an entire generation of black people that come together in love and can mobilize like no other. We would be unstoppable. So if anyone asks me what I want for Christmas, it's definitely world peace. 